all these were in link to reduce the phosphorus excretion, so to optimize the efficiency. So part of that is having precise requirements. So it's one of the the reasons why I focus on that aspect. So to be efficient, we have to be precise on the requirement and also be precise on the value of feedstuff. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AB Vista, offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Adaseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. DSM, helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. One of AB Vista's core strategies is to give customers the flexibility to do more with less, which is a common theme among many companies and producers in today's industry. As a science-driven company, AB Vista has proven results to help our customers achieve optimal performance using customized programs with our core phytase and xylanase. Hello and welcome to the Poultry Podcast. Today I'm here with Dr. Marie-Pierre Letourneau-Montmini. She's an associate professor at Laval University in Quebec, Canada. Good morning. How are you? Morning. Yeah, I'm good. Welcome. So our, the first question uh, I would like to know is, how did you get into the poultry industry? Um, I did uh, baccalaureate in agronomy uh, and I focused, I specialize in uh, animal science. I was mostly interested in swine at that time. Uh, then I uh, went to France to do my master and PhD. At that time, there was a moratorium on swine production in uh, Quebec province because of uh, phosphorus uh, problem. And uh, so I went to Brittany where they have these problems 10 years uh, before us. So I began to work on the topic of phosphorus, mostly in swine. So I did my master on modeling the fluxes of phosphorus fate in the GI tract in the growing pigs. And then I continue in PhD, and during the PhD, I compare uh, both broilers and uh, pigs. So it was an opportunity because broilers is quite fast. Uh, it's quite comparable to, to swine if we uh, look at the digestive tract and so on. So it was at the, at the PhD that I really began uh, in, uh, in poultry, and I continue to, to do both. Uh, oh, very cool. So... Um, how did you work your way to your current position? Um, after about seven years in France, I come back to Canada where I uh, specialized during a fellowship on uh, phosphorus precision feeding. And during that time, I built a large research chair to integrate Laval University, working on sustainable development of swine and poultry production. So I integrate the university through that research chair so uh meaning that i did and i do a lot of research mostly research a lot of graduate student uh course mostly for the graduate students so uh, so like that that i integrate uh, but i i did my baccalaureate in this university so i know some of the person that are there exciting and familiar very cool um, so today we've got the chance to talk about some of your work, which involves uh, calcium and phosphorus requirements and metabolism. Um, so it sounds like you've been working on this project for quite a while and you've got some really neat modeling outcomes um, to maybe further understand uptake or digestibility. So um, what, what can you tell us about requirements for the growing bird as far as calcium and phosphorus goes? Maybe you could just start with one and we can talk about the other one. Let's pick the one later. Yeah. Uh, so to, um, I think we 
all these were in link to reduce the phosphorus excretion, so to optimize the efficiency. So part of that is having precise requirements. So it's one of the the reasons why I focus on that aspect. So to be efficient, we have to be precise on the requirement and also be precise on the value of feedstuff. Uh, so I work on both sides. Uh, regarding the requirement, um, I have done a lot of work in swine, uh, mostly modeling. So modeling, mechanistic modeling, so representing the, the different compartments and the fluxes between uh, both uh, are really common in swine, dairy, beef, uh, all the NRC have their models. So, but it's quite new in poultry. So I extrapolate what I did in swine uh, to poultry. So in fact, we model the growth of the bird and the different tissue and the nutrient that goes in these different tissue. So, and by the summation of all these depositions, we have the requirement of the bird for a specific uh, purpose. So maximizing growth, maximizing bone. Uh, for phosphorus, we have a specificity. So phosphorus is about the half in bone and about the half in muscle, in broilers. So we have two kind of criteria for assessing the requirement that make it a bit complex uh, in comparison to other uh, nutrients such as amino acid, for example. Yeah, so um, I don't know a lot about uh, swine nutrition and the use of enzymes, but I know as far as um, poultry goes, that enzymes are, are quite common. So how, how have you done any work with phytase or other enzymes and balancing the different types of phosphorus that go into the diet or... Have you just kind of looked at overall requirements for uh, efficiency and sustainability over time? Yeah. During my PhD, uh, I, I did, in fact, my PhD within BASF uh, that have the, the, mm -hmm. the first five days. So um, one of the questions at that time was, is the um, calcium interact with phytase? So there was at that time recommendation to reduce calcium when we add phytase. So I work a lot on these interactions. Uh, in uh, swine and in growing pigs and broilers. So uh, I was involved already in my PhD on phytase. Um, and we realized that uh, in pigs, the calcium will not affect the efficiency of phytase. So it's important not to reduce that much because we can be in calcium deficiency and calcium is essential to retain phosphorus in two bones. So we clearly demonstrate that measuring the urine. So we have showed that if we reduce too much the calcium, the phosphorus will not be retained and will be excreted in urine. So we have worked on that interaction, trying to understand and then putting what we understand in the model. So it uh, was really interesting at that time and also to um, simulate the fact that phytate has to be soluble to be hydrolyzed by phytase. So all these interactions with calcium. So we, I begin at the, the PhD and I continue on that aspect. And as the phytase are more efficient, um, question remains and are uh, still important, although it was uh, 15 years ago. So <laughs> um, yeah, watching how these different enzymes change over time as far as efficacy has been really, really interesting. It's it's not a focus of my research, but anytime we go and, and look at a different phytase to use, maybe in some of our formulations, we always have to check uh, the the ratio or how, how much phosphorus we expect. So tricky to make sure you get it right because <laughs> it's a very important nutrient. Um, so as our genetics have been, been improving, um, what are you seeing as changes in the growth curve that might affect the phosphorus or the calcium requirements? Um, we know that, you know, the broiler itself grows at an incredible rate, even compared to 15 years ago. So have you been able to look at the requirements and maybe help update some of the feeding guidelines? Like, what, what do you think about the requirements with our modern bird? Um, one of the advantage of modeling is that we can uh, adjust the model for a change in growth. Mm -hmm. For example, we we have the protein deposition curves, the lipid deposition and the bone. So as the genetic change, we can change these equations. Uh, we can also take into account the sex effect. 
that will change the, mm-hmm. the curves, in fact, and sometimes the potential. So we know that the female will not uh, reach the same uh, protein deposition than the male. So all these is taken into account because, in fact, we we have calculated the phosphorus concentration in muscle, and this will not change. If there is more muscle, there will be more phosphorus that will go with the muscle. So it, it's the way we are able to um, to simulate that, but it seems easy, but we need the data. Modeling is based on data. We can have hypothesis, but if we want to use the model in the field, we, we should have data. So for that, um, the classic method to have these uh, data is to either dissect the bird or grind the old animal and do chemical analysis. So this has been done and still needs to be done, but there is also tools um, that I use uh, that are based on X-ray, in fact. Uh, I use dual X-ray, so 2D, not the 3D, but a two-dimension image that allows to have to, um, in fact, we... um, the, the device will give the total mass and it is really precise on the total mass and the total mass will be divided into lean, fat and bone mineral content. This device is really precise for bone mineral content. It's used, in fact, is the same that is used uh, for human for osteoporosis diagnosis. So it's really accurate for that. And we have developed the equation to transform the lean into protein and the fat into lipids. So, uh, and we also have developed anesthetized methodology. So we, uh, we anesthetize the same bird many times and we follow its growth. So, um, currently we are doing a, a trial comparing two genetic and two sex, um, and following the, the animal. So with these data, we will be able to, uh, simulate different, uh, genetic and, uh, sex. And with that, we will know and more precisely their requirements. So we have performed such a uh, trial in swine. So uh, in Europe, they use entire male. Entire male is a really specific animal that has more protein deposition. And we realized that they they, they need more phosphorus. Uh, they, they experience some problem of bone fracture because they use the same requirement than the castrated so uh, it's uh, it's important to consider these uh, growth curves. So uh, and modeling allow to do this. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, have you been able to look at what a difference uh, based on hatch weight does that translate to a definite difference in the final market weight, or are birds able to catch up if they are smaller than their peers? Have you been able to kind of figure out any of those growth curves? based on the starting weight it's based on the starting weight mm-hmm. it's difficult it depends on the tissue but for bone yeah. definitively we cannot predict because oh, the, see the bird and the pigs have the capacity to demineralize and remineralize yes. so calcium and phosphorus are tightly regulated so and it's a way we use also to improve the efficiency doing uh, deficiency during a depletion of the bone will make them more efficient so definitively, we cannot predict based on the initial body weight. Um, for protein, there is less uh, in swine. There is no real um, compensatory growth in birds. Okay. Also, it's quite difficult to to have this recovery. Uh, sometimes they are able, but we cannot account ba- only on uh, compensatory growth. I think uh, there is a a lot of yeah. factor that affect uh... yeah so in um in kind of thinking about the growth curve of the broiler it seems to be that around the first three weeks is really setting up the skeleton and then they're after that setting up more of the muscle um have you have you been able to see that in modeling um do you have an idea of maybe of the slopes i guess of the speed of muscle versus skeleton accretion and then maybe if we should be changing something about the diet or that might be too big of a question early on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, work. <laughs> they seem to be quite correlated in broilers. Yeah. Um, is, or the 
the classical allometry, we think about uh, bones first, then protein, then lipid. Um, they are more close. Bone and uh, protein are quite close in broilers, but they go together, what is good. Um, but in swine, we see different things. So mm -hmm. it seems that the genetic selection have made the protein deposition early, earlier than bone. So, um, but I don't know if the broilers, in broilers, we have also worked a lot to reduce the um, dyschondroplasia yeah. by playing with the light. In pigs, we cannot uh, <laughs> use the light as a... So I think uh, work has been done to uh, slow down a bit, uh, making yeah. sure that they are have not problem. But it, yes, it's uh, it's an important point that we have to look at. By doing these DEXA scan, we have to look at where are the, the window where we should have no limit on phosphorus and calcium and where we can reduce uh, based on yes the the environment is an important point here in Quebec is really important uh, the phosphorus excess but we have to to make sure we will not uh, have bone uh, problems so. yeah um what hurdles have you hit in your research just because birds are not really separating out feces and urine so are they a harder model to get some of these outcomes in versus swine where they can be separated Yes, it's one of the advantage of having the the swine. Uh, we have um, quantified these fluxes, mm -hmm. uh, but regarding phosphorus and calcium, they are quite uh, obvious. So they follow the. If we have the right balance to mm -hmm. deposit into bone, we don't have any um, urine losses. So we account on that based on what we have seen in in swine. Uh, but for other metabolisms such as nitrogen, definitively it's a problem. So we don't understand really the the urine mechanism, the the urea and the uric acid. There is a we we think about going to colostomy to understand some. Oh yeah. Uh, in low protein diet, there is point that we we have to understand better and can be interesting also for calcium because we. We see clearly that when we reduce calcium, we reduce wet litter. Mm -hmm. And it is it it seems to be not just related to uh, water intake, mm -hmm. uh, but what is the exact mechanism in the... We cannot um, quantify because we don't have access to urine. So, uh, yes, it's a... Yeah. It's a point that... So you like the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so are there are there any tools that you wish you had to do some of this work? It sounds like DEXA is a really great tool, but is there anything else that would really help you maybe further pinpoint some of these outcomes that you'd love to measure? The other uh, important point is it's a meta mathematical tool. It's the meta-analysis. So I do a lot. So putting all the data together, uh, it's what I did during my PhD to to look at the interaction between calcium and phytate that we never find, although we have a really large database. So I use a lot this uh, tool. So currently we are working in broilers. We have um, in about 2013, uh, Europe has proposed, uh, the phosphorus working group have proposed a methodology to uh, go for ileal digestibility of phosphorus rather than availability. And then the U.S. have followed that. So um, since 2010, we have literature on ileal phosphorus digestibility. So we build a data an exhaustive database on all the data, and we are now predicting the digestibility of phosphorus based on the, the important criteria that are the source of phosphorus phytate versus non-phytate. Uh, phosphate, calcium, the amount of calcium, and uh, the phytase. Uh, so this tool's meta-analysis, I think it's it's essential for my research. There is a lot to learn uh, based on that, and especially in broilers where we have a lot of data, we have a wonderful design. There is a a factor, a lot of factorial, three level of phosphorus, four of calcium. We never do this in swine because it's yeah. it's too hard to do. So uh, there's a lot to learn in uh, in broilers, 
just using the data available. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Our group has never done a meta-analysis, but the people that do that exhaustively put together the similarities and differences across trials, it's always been amazing to me because <laughs> that's a lot of time to do data mining and comparisons. And it's really time-consuming, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, but it, it sounds like this has been really fruitful. So I think it, it's a good avenue to pursue. So th- thank you for doing that. So we can uh, all learn from your experiences. And I think it's a really good way for the student to learn nutrition mm-hmm. because they they have to go in each publication looking at what the corn supply in phosphorus, what the phosphate, what the... So I I use a lot the first grade or the master student to begin building a database and then we continue with the, the PhD. And... Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. When... When we're kind of considering total calcium, total phosphorus, if we're trying to meet the requirements of the animal, where are we at right now? Are we are we right at where we're supposed to be? Are we still overfeeding? And of course, let's just stick to the growing broiler because we know that um, laying hens, for example, are a whole nother <laughs> a whole nother discussion. But where do you think we are right now? Are we doing are we doing well? Is there room for improvement? What do you think? Um, as I said, we have moved quite recently to ineal phosphorus digestibility. I think it's more precise methodology than available that is old and depends on the have uh, different drawback. Uh, but we still need, I think, uh, data of feedstuff value in uh, ileal uh, phosphorus. But there is some ongoing. There is a lot of group that's working on that. Um and we are working on the requirements. So we also need requirements. So in fact, the model we we develop will give us requirement. So the amount of phosphorus and calcium to absorb or to digest. So then I will give this, uh, this information to the field, but they have to, f- to formulate the diet. Yeah. So um, I think total phosphorus uh, is no longer used from long time and it's totally uh, normal because of the phytate phosphorus that is not used by the animal. So, um, and we are quite, with the, the meta-analysis, we are validating our equation. So I think we we know the most important factor and we are close to be able to predict uh, digestible phosphorus based on the, the feedstuff we have. Uh, we still have to update the phytase matrix and when it changed. And, but I think we... We are good on that aspect. Uh, regarding calcium, uh, there is a lot of work to do. Uh, meta-analysis is not the best tool because uh, we miss some information. The bird clearly adapt to calcium. A low-calcium diet will Im- increase the efficiency of absorption for sure. Um, the bird can manage, can change the value, and also the many components of the diet and also the calcium sources. So uh, there is a lot of work to understand what drives the calcium digestibility. Um, we There is a lot of work ongoing, but we are not at the step of having a system in digestible calcium. Uh, for swine, I don't think it will change a lot uh, the way we will formulate the diet if we go to total calcium or digestible. But in broilers, um, they are um, sensitive to uh, particle size, uh, mm-hmm. which is not the case in swine. So in swine, the limestone is more from one limestone to another. That is the more important sources of calcium. We don't see large effect. Um, there is no interaction with the phytase. But in birders, there is many interaction, uh, large versus fine particle size with, will change the digestibility of calcium, of phosphorus, and sometimes the phytase effect. So, um, and things are more complicated because this, we, we understand that part of this particle size effect is the solubility. So fine particle will be more soluble. More soluble means more formation of complex with phytate and phosphate. So it's one of the things that we understand, but um, one limestone at the same 
particle size, they can be more or less soluble. Uh, limestone is a rock, come from a, a rock, and we know that mineral can interact and have different solubility depending on, on the complex. So probably part of that is related to the the mine where the limestone come from. Is it the mineral that are there? Is it other components? So uh, there is a lot to learn uh, to be more precise. But I think we can uh, have a system with some range and safety margin so we can uh, we will be able to give some information i think in the next or to next year or the in the in the coming years uh but there is a, a lot of things to understand and i think this aspect of limestone is is important uh, and it becomes more and more important as for me as the phytase improve so they have more important effect on calcium, especially we now consider, and I think it's important, we consider the, a matrix for calcium, uh, which was not the case when I did my PhD. Uh, we we don't consider that. So now we consider it and it, we really measure an effect on, on calcium. Uh, but when we consider a matrix, it's based on a limestone. And if the limestone are not equivalent, the matrix can change. So I think there is a, a lot of work to do to better understand. Uh, and it's important. We know that calcium is essential for bone, but it's really detrimental for phosphorus absorption if there is not the right balance. So, uh, yeah. So what? how do you think uh, the digestive transit time interacts with the availability or the ability to absorb calcium and, and phosphorus? It, it seems like as the broiler itself, it gets to be a better digester. We seem to speed up maybe the disappearance of carbohydrate or some other things or get better at digesting carbohydrate downstream. But does the transit time have anything to do with calcium and phosphorus absorption? It's a good question. If we compare the broilers with swine, for example, I think this uh, quick transit times is probably the reason why we have that much interaction yeah um, and there is also a lower ph in the gizzard if we compare to to swine um where the the swine the the feed and like human will stay longer in the stomach so there is time to to um to change the ph and to have a lot of uh interaction so i think the if we compare species the transit times may be uh, important uh, but one of the problem of the if we stay in broilers, the transit time is uh, frequently changed by carbohydrate, mm -hmm. and carbohydrates are um, linearly related to phytate, so it's difficult to uh, yeah <laughs> to not relate all these feedstuff effects. Uh, yes, but definitely the transit time it's an element, and also the the crop, the crop is something that we don't have in other species. So uh, there is thing to, to learn again on, on this uh, digestion. And there is, in the literature, I was really surprised during my PhD, we have a lot of information in digestive physiology in swine, in birds. Although it's quite easy to obtain, there is no not a lot of uh, information. Yeah, it um, it's it's kind of surprising, but it also depends on if anyone ever got really obsessed with that question and kind of followed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, kind of going back to some of the limestone solubility, um, are are there different mines or regions in the world, maybe um, places that you would get limestone? Does cost ever equate to quality? Um, are you seeing a better limestone and solubility, let's say, that would be a better product? Like, do, pe do people say this is limestone and they're not really worried about the other contaminants? Or is there limestone from certain areas that commands like a premium price? Like people know maybe it's better. Um, I don't know a lot about, about that side of the industry. But limestone is a cheap ingredient. So as long time it, it's one of the reasons we have that much of calcium uh it's used in the filler it's used in the premix uh, 
So it's considered cheap and uh, there is a lot of uh, person that don't really worry. So I think it's yeah. the it's the beginning. Um, I, I'm, I don't know what is if there is possibility to improve the um, the quality of a limestone coming from a certain area, or if it's related to to really the geographical origin. And uh, so I think there is a lot to learn. But it in general it's considered as a cheap ingredient, and there is yeah. other sources of calcium coming from the. Um, the seaweed, uh, there is different types that are really uh, more expensive. Uh, and there is some research on that and looking at other sources. Uh, but because limestone is cheap, is the most uh, used, I think. Yeah. yeah, that's what I kind of thought. But then I was also thinking, well, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know I know it's not, not an expensive ingredient, but... Um, without being specifically in that area, it's hard to know. Um, has there been anything along the course of your career as you're working on calcium and phosphorus absorption that has been just really surprising or interesting? Has anything just popped out to you like, wow, this is new or what the heck's going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was surprised by the, during my PhD, um, we always see in the literature that calcium is tightly regulated by yeah. any animal. And so based on that, we have used this hypothesis saying that if we made an animal deficient, they will be more efficient looking at vitamin D metabolism, PTH. And, and we tried this uh, with the exoscan that is uh, really useful for that. So um, we uh, did the deficiency. So by end, we look at the literature and we say, okay, if we reduce by 40%, Probably we will not affect the growth performance and we will uh, just affect the bone and and perform this trial. And finally, uh, it works really well. So mm-hmm. we on that aspect. So I'm always uh, impressed by this capacity of the animal of coping from calcium and phosphorus uh, deficiency. So in the in the requirement, there is also the history of the, the animal that mm-hmm. may like the requirements. So it makes it really interesting, but really complicated based on <laughs> other uh, nutrient like energy where there is no uh, adaptation. Uh, and um, yeah, so this, uh, I think it's uh, really uh, surprising. Yeah, it's never black and white. Yeah. Um, when I was an undergrad, um, I was involved in some research and it had to do with phosphorus digestibility um, and it was in, in broilers, and the goal was to study some different mechanisms. So we had some different antibodies that changed, you know, something about phosphorus metabolism. And to do this, we had to have a phosphorus-deficient group just to make sure that we knew what it would look like if the birds are growing poorly. And all of the animals in all of the cages were phosphorus-deficient. You could tell they were smaller and some other things. But in one cage, there was this giant bird. And so we sat in there and watched him, and that bird was eating flies. <laughs> it's when you say you have to listen to the history of the animal. It's it's so funny how resourceful some of them are. They find other ways to get phosphorus if they're on a slightly deficient diet. They just use the environment. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like there was a ton of flies in the area, but there's always you know a, a couple here and there when you're working with poultry. But that just cracked me up because we just said, well, he didn't read the protocol. <laughs> that broiler, <laughs> he, he figured a way to get phosphorus. And I can't imagine he was eating a, you know, a ton of flies, but there was quite a difference in an animal that has, you know, marginal versus <laughs> the requirement. So, man, that we have to teach them how to read so they can read their protocol and follow <laughs> and get the outcome. Um, has there been anything that you've come across so if you're doing these meta uh, analyses, you've probably seen and your students have probably seen a ton of research. Has anyone done anything really interesting or unique that kind of stood out to you when you were compiling or or has the history of calcium and phosphorus research kind of been working on, you know, more mathematical and kind of balanced studies? Like, was anyone really innovative and that was kind of a neat thing that you found? Uh, regarding innovation, I think there is, uh, things to do. I see really interesting results with the COVID-19 um, showing that the people that 
have the more severe the patient the patient that have the more severe impact have the less phosphate in their blood. So we know that phosphorus is really important for ATP, uh, for energy metabolism, and um, and finally they. This results leads to all the stuff on vitamin D that we uh, heard about during COVID-19. So the, um, the role of phosphorus in immunity, I think, is not a lot studied, uh, especially in, in animals. So uh, regarding heat stress, uh, regarding um, sanitary challenge. So uh, thinking about the role of phosphorus in energy metabolism, um, and there is some other results showing that in some deficiency, the the animal or in human, they they will uh, go in the bone to find the phosphorus for energy metabolism. So all these aspects, I think, may be uh, important in the in regard to reducing the use of antibiotic, having uh, birds that are that are more robust. So uh, I think this deserves more attention uh, thinking about that we always see a requirement we we forget a bit this maintenance or this other compartment that is the the requirement for the when there is a challenge so uh, i think it's the beginning of uh, of that but probably phosphorus there is something interesting to to look at yeah so as you kind of survey the different feedstuffs that supply phosphorus um and our our basic chicken diet, it's corn and soybean meal-based, and then we'll add in other byproducts as needed. Um, when the diet gets more complex, when we're using least cost formulation, um, are you finding that there's a difference in phosphorus absorption? Um, is a simple diet better or is something with a lot more varied sources better for phosphorus or calcium absorption? What we see uh, for most part of the feedstuff, there is no real change. Uh, phytate, the proportion of phytate versus non-phytate is quite stable in cereal and byproduct, and uh, except the DDGs, that is really higher in available phosphorus or digestible phosphorus. Uh, meat and bone meal, all these. Um, so we use a lot these uh, feedstuff in broilers. So. Um, they are really uh, they they provide available phosphorus, so it, it's good. There is no problem uh, with that. There is a variation in these products, so we have to be careful. Um, we have also, I think, to be careful to the when we are in the process of reducing phosphorus, we have to be precise on the. So we have to be precise on the phosphate also. Uh, there is. Uh, data not a lot but there is data of digestibility of phosphate so it's important to to take that into account and again the quality of the phosphate is also important to uh, to avoid deficiency so but there is no large change if we go for least cost uh, we don't go for for that in burgers because i think of the aspect of fiber it fiber the the problem that uh, we stay with our corn and soybean and um so so when Let's say someone is noticing an issue, an issue with growth, and they think it might be calcium or phosphorus related. What what are your suggestions to kind of have an an analysis and try to figure out the problem before it persists, especially if there might not be compensatory gain? Yeah, um, one of the problem in general with phosphorus and calcium is that growth performance will not be affected. If you do a really important uh, phosphorus deficiency, they will reduce their feed intake. Uh, okay. But in general, you will see bone fracture uh, and often at the slaughterhouse. So it, in general, it's where, it's how we realize that there is a, a deficiency. Um, so it's difficult to have a, a standard because we don't have a clear idea of uh, the bone mineral content of a tibia of a bird. Um, we the digs up may be useful to compare a farm that have no problem and a farm that have problem. Uh, we are currently developing. We have developed this in swine. It works really well. We are able to predict the phosphorus retention based on the the bone mineralization of the head. So 
we go in the slaughterhouse, we take the head, we take the scan, and mm -hmm. I can tell the producer that there is a problem or not really? with their uh, phosphorus. So we are working to develop this in broilers. So we have a, a project ongoing where we will scan a lot of birds at 35 days of age. That is our uh, target market uh, weight. So, um, and we, in um, in combination, we we have also a lot of. I have a lot of research data of uh, phosphorus deficiency, a calcium deficiency, and so sometimes a reduction of. 50% of the, the growth in the bone. So I know what is a, a deficiency. So uh, we will be able to do some diagnosis, uh, but there is not a lot of calcium is regulated in the plasma, so you cannot use it as a standard. Vitamin D, vitamin D sometimes, but uh, we have to work more to develop what is the normal level uh, because vitamin D can be reduced and you can uh, target the that you have a problem, but uh, it's not easy to uh, to find. But uh, we we try. So if um, if you are able to use like the the carcass of an animal and review that to determine perhaps issues in calcium and phosphorus, um, for broilers, you know where the hens and the roosters are grown together, would you see more issues in as far as? like bone fractures in the heavy roosters or is it equally distributed kind of in the heavier overall for each of their respective uh, male and female? I think if the requirements are known, there will be no difference between the male and female. In general, we would say that male, if we do mixing, uh, we have to use the requirement of the male and in general, we will have problems. In aviar birds can be some problem with it depends on the the lipids also lipids are if they they have we we see this in in swine so if they have more lipids uh it's heavier and uh may have problems so sometimes you will see difference between male and female regarding their lipid proportion but uh they not necessarily if you yeah so you you kind of are randomly selecting then at the slaughterhouse like you don't specifically need to pick, uh, you know, roosters or hens to get your answer. You can just select a random amount and then you can maybe get a link back to whether or not there was a deficiency. So it sounds like maybe there isn't, isn't necessarily a, an issue unless there's a big problem with phosphorus because of the way the diets are formulated. Does that kind of sound right? Yeah. 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 Huh. Interesting. Cool. <laughs> um, our group does a bit of work with lameness and we see that, you know, and just heavier birds. So then it makes me makes me wonder if they have other other issues going on as well or if there might be some predictive tools um yeah this question of lameness always comes um lameness is a problem of joint and in general phosphorus and calcium have nothing to do with uh these problems so uh a deficiency in calcium or, or phosphorus will be a bone fracture not uh, a lameness yeah, problem very significant. No. yeah but yeah, we have uh, did the, it was interesting. We did the, a trial where we select pigs that have osteochondrosis mm -hmm. versus not, and those that have osteochondrosis are better mineralized, hmm. uh, probably because of the lameness and, and of the pain. So they they put more uh, pressure on the bone, and if the bone uh -huh. has more pressure, it will be better mineralized. So um, yeah. Cool. So it was not a question of uh, calcium and phosphorus. So probably other mineral, but uh, yeah. Oh, it's really interesting. Um, have you have you dabbled at all in the laying hen industry? That seems like a completely separate thing because it's more of a maintenance phase. But do you think any of your work in broilers will eventually be able to help maybe some of the... Because those birds are under quite a lot of mineral stress, right? Just making sure, and there's a lot, uh, incredible amount of bone turnover to support laying. Do you think you'll ever get into that aspect of the poultry industry? Yeah, we currently um, recuperate data because we need data to model. So we don't have data. So we have a project and in the laying and one of the things, so there is the, the requirement that can be precise, I think, for Probably we give too much phosphorus, but um, there is a tendency in Europe and 
it's a discussion in Canada to um, extend the laying cycle. Uh, so to 100 weeks, so it's 30 weeks more. And we know that during this period, we think that during this period, there will be osteoporosis. Uh, so uh, a lot of challenge. So now we are uh, working to dexascan laying hen uh, until 100 weeks of age to see if there is a point where, because what is um, incredible with the laying hen is that they, they will do their eggs anyway. So at mm -hmm. the expense of bone. So if there is, we, the question is if there is a point where the bone reserve will not be enough to do the eggs or where is the moment where the laying hen will not be able to uh, rebuild the bone reserve uh, during one day, in fact. So, uh, and we we are really surprised by the results. For the moment, it's flat. So they don't reduce their bone mineralization until 100 weeks of age. Uh, they continue the, the egg mass is stable uh, and the bone is stable. So it, it's a first uh, experiment, but uh, it's really uh, interesting to to look at that this uh the these birds are really impressive yeah that that is super impressive um well if you ever uh get that published i'd be really interested in reading that because it's so uh interesting and i don't i think mostly we're not seeing that people are doing DEXA scans over time on the same birds or same you know cohort within the same flock so that is really interesting because usually it's, you know, a terminal procedure and the other samples are being taken. So I think that is really cool that you've figured out an uh, anesthetizing protocol. So, <laughs> so you can watch, uh, you know, the same cohort over time. Um, so our, our talk today has been really fun and eye-opening. Um, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you would like our listeners to hear? No, I think uh, there is... Uh still work to do but uh, an interesting point I think with the modeling is again that we need data so it means a lot of uh, collaboration so I collaborate with a lot of groups that uh, come and see that they have data so uh, they send the data and finally we exchange on and modeling uh, there is part of the model where we don't know how to simulate so um, there is a lot of discussion uh, uh, with other researchers saying that no I think it should be stable I think it should increase so and we we test different uh, so this is really interesting with that topic so. yeah this it, it's definitely a timely topic especially with um, a focus on sustainability and even cost um, you know we want to make sure that all the stuff we produce is beneficial for the environment and then is affordable for, for people. So, um, yeah, it's really, really neat subject. And I'm excited to follow your work on uh, metabolism because it's really, really interesting field. <laughs> it's time for our famous three. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like at JBI, we apply biosecurity innovation and expertise to keep your operation safe. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health changes. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. DSM strives to bring our customers efficient, sustainable poultry solutions, from essential vitamins like HYD to next-generation products like Hyphorius for efficient phosphorus utilization and Biofix to counteract naturally occurring metabolites in feed. Our portfolio is growing as we continue to bring innovation to the poultry industry. Visit dsm.com forward slash ANH to learn more about our newest solutions. Um, so I'd like to end our podcast today with the three questions that we asked all of the guests. Um, the first question is, what is your favorite poultry-related book or resource? Um, I have two. It's not really poultry, the table of feed stuff. Uh, oh, from, yeah, that's uh, yeah, right. Because with the metanalysis, I'm always going in the these table of feed stuff. And I still go to the NRC uh, 1994 uh, to see how things have evolved <laughs> and 
you go back into uh, the definition of available phosphorus, what was the, and I don't found all the information. That, uh, so I hope the, the new NRC will will come and will be a, a reference, but uh, I think it's these two books. Yeah, gosh, yeah, if that could be updated, everyone would be happy, right? I think there's there's a team of people working on it, so <laughs> yeah. see. Um, the second question is, what's your favorite book or resource outside of agriculture? Um, I don't have one particularly. I think cooking book. I really like cooking. So, uh, yeah, uh, I really like uh, looking. Yeah. At least like <laughs> book changed my mind. I'm, uh, I'm into new recipes too. I feel you right there. Cooking. Cooking is, is uh, cooking good food is always up there with my favorite things to do. <laughs> um, so our last question, um, in your opinion, um, what sets successful poultry professionals apart from those that aren't? Um, I think they they have to adapt uh, to the, the changing um, way of production. So there is a lot of pressure for antibiotics. Uh, which deserve more biosecurity, reviewing a lot of practice. So I think this will be important. Uh, and I see this a uh, bit difficult for the moment in in Canada. Uh, but Europe managed quite good. So I think we they have to be uh, they have to adapt to the the new uh, the new way of production. And so yeah, but. That's great. Um, I, I love the poultry industry for its adaptability. So if you're kind of not flexible, you'll have a hard time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, thank you again for your time spent here with us today. This is really, really interesting. Um, and again, I hope that uh, people listening had a lot to hear, learn, uh, maybe more thoughts and questions that come up just from your, your interesting research area. Um, I just wanted to also take a minute to thank the sponsor for this podcast, uh, AB Vista. Um, it's one of the first sponsorships that we've had in the poultry podcast. So thank you again uh, for your time and your sponsorship. Um, and hopefully we will get to chat again soon on another topic. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you.